Welcome to the Bonfire. I am Morgan, aka Bond Diesel, and this is a podcast about video game news, speculation, rumors, and reviews. This week, I'll be covering Jim Ryan is retiring from PlayStation, Epic lays off almost 900 employees, BioWare is hiring again, and much more. A few things before we get started, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform and on YouTube, please subscribe to the channel, hit the like button if you do, and comment with your thoughts, questions for next week, or to just say hello. If you can also throw a review into Spotify or iTunes, I would really appreciate it. A special thank you to all of my patrons, including producer-level patrons, Hassan and Horseman, supporter-level patrons, PK, The Dawn, Cage Nephilim, and Neuronex, as well as viewer-level patron, Zenra. If you are interested in supporting this podcast, my other content, and getting this episode ad-free for as little as $1 per month, check out patreon.com slash Diesel. Gaming news. This week, I believe we have 12 stories. Story number one, Jim Ryan, PlayStation's current CEO, is retiring from Sony. Uh, They put this out in a press release, uh, and he put out a personal statement. Uh, Long story short, it sounds like he um, is going to officially retire in early 2024, um, but he has already handed over the reins to his temporary replacement. it's 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 an interesting move. He's citing that he wants to um, spend more time with his family. Apparently, he still lives in Europe, even though he uh, is the head of the PlayStation here in the, in the United States, where I live. And um, I, I assume he has a condo or something, you know, near their office. Uh, that's probably five times bigger than my house. But um, this is a pretty big deal. Um, Jim Ryan has. He's had an interesting career, in my opinion. I think if you look at it from a a CEO's job is to make the company as successful as possible that he's running, no matter what, he's been amazing. He's um, he's really been the antithesis of Bill Spencer uh, over at Xbox, where they're in essentially the same position, where Phil has really painted himself as. Uh, the gamers guy and 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 always um, you know seems to have his uh, finger more on the pulse of things that are going on. Um, I always have been. I'm perfectly willing to bet Jim Ryan does not care at all about video games. I I I bet this guy is so happy to be out of this industry. But what he is, he's a really good businessman. It seems like uh, even if it means he in my opinion, had to be relatively ruthless, um, have a lot of gaffes and say a lot of really dumb stuff. Um, and uh, to be, in in my opinion, I to, to make some pretty anti-consumer moves. But when things are anti-consumer, they tend to be pro-business. And that has shown up for PlayStation. They, um, if not double up, um, at least, you know, are, are 30, 40% up on Xbox, who is their, their closest competitor in the sense of they're, they're both kind of more in the same sphere than like Nintendo is such a weird bird these days because they, you know, Nintendo, PlayStation, Xbox are in like the same conversation but we're hitting a point where they're all doing such different things 
uh, at least in my opinion, Sony it has like the most old school model of we want to sell consoles and that's our primary thing. And we want to sell third person single player action adventure games. That's that's what we are. We are selling consoles and we're selling you uh, those consoles so you can play these specific type of games. You have Xbox who seemingly, in my opinion, has given up on the console war, even though Sony's still fighting it, and they're kind of swinging a sword at nobody. Uh, Xbox, it seems like, has kind of acknowledged, like, yep, we aren't going to sell more consoles. It's not going to work. So instead, we are going to go at this a different way. We are going to essentially focus on Game Pass and say, here's an Xbox if you want to buy it. You know, Series X, if you want the best console. Series S, if you want in on a cheaper uh, but lower power route. Uh, but Game Pass. Get Game Pass on your TV, on your PC, on your console, on your phone. We don't care where you're playing the games that we're offering you, but pay monthly for them uh, and play them somewhere. And that almost puts Sony in and Microsoft on like two different tracks where they're still competing. They're still in the same, you know, general business, but they've got real different goals. And then you have Nintendo over there, like outselling both of them and not even trying to compete, you know, knowing that they can put out an inferior hardware product and that like the next switch is probably going to be from a purely just power point of view is probably going to be kind of pathetic. It's 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 the rumors are is that it's hardware from like two or three years ago already, and it's not going to release until next year, until 2024. And so it's going to be underpowered from day one. So all of these hopes people have that they're going to get into the third party game, you know, that, that's a fan thing. Nintendo doesn't care because they sold what, like 20 million copies of that last Pokemon game that just barely runs. That looks awful. It just it barely runs, but people buy it and they keep buying the console. So Nintendo's in a spot where they're saying like, like Nintendo has the money to make a handheld that maybe isn't quite like PS5 or Series X powerful, but is more powerful than the Steam Deck or the ROG Ally or any of those uh, and to subsidize it and make it affordable. But they don't have to. They know they don't have to. They're going to poop out this new product and they're going to sell 100 million of them and and you know 10 times more games so when you consider where the industry is what jim ryan did was say hey we're gonna kind of half-ass the our own version of game pass but no one cares like yeah they're gonna get mad about the pricing they're gonna get mad that we don't have day one exclusives whatever no one cares though because they're still gonna buy the playstation 5 because they want to play god of war because they want to play the last of us because they want to play horizon because they want to play these games that are only here and here and also we'll put them on pc eventually because xbox is day one pay the pc with their exclusives you know jim ryan and playstation said oh we'll put it on pc we care about pc but we're gonna do it three years later and the chances it's it's a good port are like 50 50. <laughs> and and i've seen people say like well they they want to focus on console development and then and not do the pc and console at the same, same time i call complete bullcrap on that um, it's a smart strategy when you think about the goals i said before 
Sony cares a lot about selling hardware. Hardware doesn't make companies much money. Um, we know that PlayStation makes money on their consoles, but I don't think they've ever said how much. It's probably very little. The margins are probably single digit in my my assumption. I don't know if Nintendo or uh, Nintendo has to be, at least with the Switch, has to be profitable on that hardware by now. They've sold so many of them. Um, and Xbox, you know, with the series consoles, we don't know. We I don't think we've ever found out if they're still, you know, subsidizing those or not and losing money on them. But if they're making money, it's a similar situation as Sony, where it's probably not much. You know, the, these platforms make their money off of software. And in this... And so, so that makes the the whole concept of how Jim Ryan and PlayStation have you know over the years done this thing where they put out The Last of Us Part One, the the, the remaster, and then you know a few years later we get the PC version. They put out Horizon Zero Dawn a few years later, the the sequel a few years later. Now we're about to get that sequel in 2024, you know, three four years after the original game came out, and. The reason they do that is explicit. It's because if they did day and date, if they did PC and PlayStation on the same day, you know, they would miss out on console sales uh, by making people wait two, three years. You know, they're giving people the choice like, OK, you can wait two or three years until this game isn't really relevant anymore. It'll have a slight splash again, but not the same as on release. You, you can play it later after you've heard all the spoilers and seen all the videos and all that. Or you can play it now. You just got to spend 500 bucks on this console. Um, and, and, and that's, you know, that's their thing. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, I mean, I think it's kind of anti-consumer, but who cares? Like, they don't care. They're making a bunch of money. The people who buy the PlayStation don't care. They love their console. They have a bunch of great games. It's all good. And so, and, and the last part of Jim Ryan's legacy is going to be the most interesting to me in that his... You know, the PlayStation's making a really obvious push for live service games. Um, it's it's a weird move. And I, I think because PlayStation is so dominant, at least compared to Xbox, people just kind of you have this assumption in your brain of like anything PlayStation does is, is probably the right decision. And oftentimes it has been, even when it doesn't seem like it will be. Um, but they aren't they 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 aren't necessarily uh like invincible or you know they, they, they don't they don't always make the right calls we have things like the vita and things like that um and this live service push is, is is most interesting to me because as someone who's a big fan of the division and um you know has at least you know somewhat paid attention to what's going on with uh, destiny and warframe uh, and then you have the games that kind of come and go like outriders and stuff like that in that genre um even though Outriders wasn't a live service game, they said it was, I think it was definitely meant to be. They just didn't have the funding, but, um, and then like Fortnite and all these other games, what you, you don't often see people talk about is that if you put out 10 AAA live service games, you are genuinely lucky if one of them hits and sticks around for more than a year or two. Uh, if you look at Ubisoft, if you look at even EA to a point, if you look at a bunch of big publishers, you know, we've seen so many live service games, uh, mostly like Battle Royales. Now the big trend is extraction shooters. Um, but, you know, all kinds of life, you know, live service doesn't necessarily mean, you know, free to play multi uh, multiplayer, but it often does. 
Um, you even see like Apex Legends, you know, starting to lose some of its ground. And it makes you wonder, like, is PlayStation late? You know, are, are they five, ten years late to this trend? Because it sure looks like they're spending maybe a bulk of their company resources on their first parties to try to make live service games. Uh, we, we know that um, like the factions, uh, like they have Naughty Dog working on what is probably a live service game. If, if you told someone that five years ago and said, hey, uh, the makers of The Last of Us, uh, Uncharted, uh, they're going to make a live service game. People would scoff and laugh at you. They'd say, no. Why would Sony ever let them waste their time on that? They should be working on the next Last of Us or a new Uncharted or making a new franchise entirely um, and not doing a The Last of Us uh, live service game. But for all intents and purposes, it sounds like that's what they're doing. And it, at least at one point, seemed like it wasn't going too well. And so uh, I just, you know, and, and we see that I believe they have 10 to 12 live service games in production and you know they, they acquired destiny they acquired bungie uh, the maker of destiny and i've seen people say like well they got them so that they can guide them on making a, a successful live service game because destiny at least in the mainstream is the most successful live service game probably only behind fortnite um maybe call of duty i, I have no idea the problem is is that especially with, with Destiny, it's, you know, as a looter shooter, it's the most successful looter shooter, which is typically a live service genre. Um, and, and it's still a hot mess. It's still a complete mess. Uh, even just seeing it from the outside, you know, they, they are always scrambling to fix things. They're always scrambling to get content out that people are excited about and satisfied with that they beat in a day and then ask for more. Um, my my thing with the whole idea of like well they got bungie and so all of these live service games can be successful and they just can't be like i said before i think you're lucky if one out of ten live service games hits even mediocre success and that makes it pretty likely that out of all of these games that sony is going all in on it seems like or at least this genre they'll be lucky if even one of them hits and there's a chance none of them do now, they're still going to put out their next Sony Santa Monica game, whether it's God of War or whatever it is. They're going to put out their three Insomniac games a year, and those are going to be like solid 8.5s out of 10, and they're going to be great, and they're going to be worth buying the console for. Um, Naughty Dog is, I assume, working on A Last of Us 3 as well as that Factions mode. So like they're still going to put out good games. They're going to get great third-party deals. Their second-party deals with like Square Enix and stuff. They're, you know, unless you know Microsoft is really starting to dig into that relationship, they're still going to like. Their PlayStation is going to be fine, obviously. But I think you're. you're I think this is going to be one of their moments that we look back on and say, yeah, they kind of took their eye off the ball with doing this live service thing. And oddly, and maybe not oddly, like being late to the game. Like, if, if you look at the trend of gaming right now, um, the, the games that are live service, you know, we're, we're hitting like a, a maximum playtime situation. We're like, I think they're starting to run into the situation where if, if even just PlayStation puts out, say, half of the games even ever come out that they're developing, four or five, no one no one can play four or five live service games so they're 
you know, they, it's not like they're trying to find one audience for all of those games. They're, they're trying to find like multiple smaller audiences, I guess, or hope that just one of them hits and they can dump the rest. But like, I know for me, I'm getting to a point where I keep up with the division two. Uh, and obviously there's some news there, but you know, that's a long ways off. Um, but even then I don't play a ton of that. I love Battlefield 2042 apex legends. And I don't think I've touched either one of those in months. Cause I'm, I'm just too busy. I love those games. Um, I just don't have time to play them because I've been playing Starfield and Baldur's Gate 3 and other games that have been coming out. And um, I just think that there's like a saturation point where it's going to be really curious to me how PlayStation navigates uh, the fact that they may be getting into a, a, a gaming genre like five to ten years late. So. But Jim Ryan, you know, he started that push and then he's effing off. <laughs> he will not have to worry about it. That's going to be someone else's problem. So, you know, it, it, I think you can um, acknowledge a successful uh, person and appreciate what they did for the industry uh, while also having some big problems with, you know, some of their individual uh, decisions and choices. Uh, and that's kind of where I stand with Jim Ryan. Um, I hope he uh, gets to relax with his family and, and have some really good times. I'm, uh, I'm sure he's earned uh, every uh, moment that he's going to get from here on out and hopefully doesn't end up on some um, lobbying board. But we'll see. Second story is Epic has laid off 16% of their staff, which amounts to almost 900 employees. Uh, the entire company has been impacted. Apparently, uh, I think it's Mediatonic or whatever that makes Fall Guys um, was hit especially hard and that they, they aren't shutting down, but they've lost so many employees that they, they may basically be starting from scratch, which sucks. Uh, Tim Sweeney made claims um, that their spending was outpacing their revenue, which if you remember that Epic uh, has their own, uh, they have their own platform, their own store with exclusive games. They have Fortnite, <laughs> they have the Unreal Engine 5, uh, and that even with all of those things, supposedly they're losing money, um, that they they had to make these cuts to uh, for the health of the company. Um, uh, they specifically cited that the, the Fortnite creator program uh, isn't as successful as they hoped it would be. If, um, if you remember, I want to say it was during Summer Game Fest or one of the one, it might have been Epic's own like recent showcase they did where they showed that like in Fortnite, you can essentially make your own games that are pretty elaborate and pretty unique. Um, and it seemed like they were really banking on that to be really popular. And as far as I know, uh, that kind of crash and burned. Um, I think that they, you know, they do all these events and modes in Fortnite, and I think maybe that made them think like, oh, Fortnite can be like its own like platform. Um, and I think that maybe after trying this creator thing and it not being that successful, there's a chance that maybe just a lot of people like Fortnite. <laughs> like, I think there's a lot of people who just like that game. And while it obviously evolves and, and people participate in the new mechanics and, and, and stuff that maybe trying to completely pivot that to being like a development platform wasn't really in the cards. Uh, Tim Sweeney also mentioned the metaverse. Uh, 
spending they did and how um i i believe that there's some and it's probably made up but it's probably not entirely inaccurate but i think like facebook invested like literally billions into the in, into their metaverse uh product and the, the the it's only like made like hundreds of dollars or something like it's it's something where it, the the metaverse thing and i feel like talk of it has dropped quite a bit or it's being renamed by some companies um the metaverse thing seemed kind of like these like this like pet project by a bunch of billionaires who thought that they were like cutting edge and and maybe didn't realize that like the everyday person like myself and probably you who's listening to this like isn't gonna buy a fifteen hundred dollar VR headset and hook it up to my two thousand four thousand dollar PC and want to sit there and have like video conferences with my coworkers with a augmented reality headset on like. I'm sure maybe there's people who are into that. Maybe there's industries where that's going to be more common. But I think for people like me, if I get out and I get in my paid off 10 plus year old car uh, in my house that I can afford, but, you know, things are tight uh, in, in my general lifestyle that, you know, I'm just happy to have the job I have and things like that that I'm not really like, I'm not going to work trying to convince my company to switch to VR meetings or something. Um, and and so, you know, seeing Epic lay off that many people um, while, while still hiring, which that's related to another story that's coming up in a, here shortly. Um, it, it's, I'm of like two minds about it. Like it's, you know, Epic's not as big as Microsoft, um, but you often see the same thing come up and Microsoft will lay off like 2000 people but then they'll still be hiring. And it's like, people get mad about that. I, that's just how it is. You know, the, the people who got, they're probably not hiring in the exact same departments that got laid off or the exact same subsidiaries that got laid off. It's probably hiring in a different part of the company. And, and from a purely business point of view, what's probably happening is they have one department or one subsidiary who um, is doing really well and they are growing and they need to hire for them. And another one or another department that is either plateaued or is actually losing or, or, or you know, losing productivity or losing uh, profit that it's being phased out. And then they cut people from those jobs and um, it should be more humane than that. It should be more fair than that. Um, but the, the layoffs and, and don't bother me in that way. Uh, what and, and there's always the thing of like, well, why can't they just put these people on other projects? Like workers are pretty specialized these days. And there's a decent chance that a lot of people who got laid off just there just wasn't another spot for them readily available. Um, it, it's it's ruthless, man. It, it sucks um, in no way, shape or form. would I defend what uh, what Epic does or especially Tim Sweeney, I. I, I think Epic is good for the game industry in the overall sense and that offering, you know, like a ubiquitous engine that everyone can use. That's like really good. Um, and then having a competitive PC store to steam, even though it's not like really competitive, but it's there, you know, and then having um, a game like Fortnite and stuff that can kind of push you know games forward and events and things like that and, and kind of show some innovation and stuff i i don't think epic's bad but you know th this is kind of the normal awful tech uh, industry behavior and that you know epic's not the first big tech company to have layoffs this year and they are they won't be the last and it's not gonna 
you know, it's, it's just like this. And, and I'm, and I'm not saying that we should accept that. Um, we should definitely be doing things to protect workers and do all, all of that kind of stuff. But I guess I just don't feel like I'm naive enough to, to pretend like I'm surprised by this. I'm disgusted by it. I think it's awful. Um, I hope all those people find new positions. Um, I bet, I bet a bunch of those, there are a bunch of studios making Unreal Engine 5 games right now. And I bet a pretty good chunk of those 900 people would be useful to them. So I really hope that they all uh, land on their feet. And I hope that uh, Epic can try to not be what it inevitably will be in a scummy corporation that only cares about money and profit. So there we go. Cyberpunk 2077 Phantom Liberty release. So the uh, very highly anticipated DLC for Cyberpunk 2077 has released uh, is going to be the only DLC. And I believe uh, its update was the was is going to be the final like big legit update for cyberpunk at all um we saw in the news this week that they've said that um they, they have begun work on the sequel for cyberpunk that's I, it seems like a lot more people are forgiving than i am to, to cdpr but that's okay everyone can have their own thing uh phantom liberty uh has a metacritic score of 89 um it depending on the circles you uh follow or and run in that that may surprise you. It surprised me. Um, uh, I, you know, you're, you're seeing um, some people like acting like this is the second coming of, of the savior with this game. And that, and I think that's a bit exaggerated, but um, it, it is cool that people are enjoying it. And it's nice that CDPR um, has improved cyberpunk since its release um, that they did get a DLC out, even though like this game was also supposed to have like, multiplayer and multiple DLCs and was supposed to be like a good deep RPG. <laughs> and I still don't think that they've really accomplished uh, any of those goals. But again, it seems like people are happy with the product that's out. It seems like from a story point of view that this Phantom Liberty uh, release uh, is good. People like the story and um, seem to enjoy what it's all about. Um, I have not played it. I intended to. So um, when I saw that the 2.0 patch was coming, um, when I saw that the Phantom Liberty was coming up, I was definitely curious. Um, I played through Cyberpunk fully last year uh, in 2022. It was fine. Uh, I, I'm definitely in that camp of I, I, I think that Cyberpunk, uh, after all of its updates and fixes and stuff, is like an OK game. I don't think it even comes close to li living up to the promises they made about it. And I think even if you ignore the promises and just look at the game itself, like, I still think that the story is just okay. I think the writing is fine. I think it's actually kind of cringy in a lot of places. I think the characters are pretty hit or miss. Um, I, I, I'm always surprised by how often um, I've seen people like just really gushing over like the world of cyberpunk because uh, just for some clarification um, that when the 2.0 update came out a week or two ago, um, I jumped back in. I played about 15, 20 hours uh, in preparation for Phantom Liberty because my thought was like, OK, I want to jump back in. I started a new playthrough. I want to see how this game feels compared to what I played last year uh, and see if I feel like this is uh, like I feel motivated to get the DLC and then to do all of that. Um, and so I played about 15, 20 hours and I guess I left it with kind of what I said already, like the game has improved since launch, obviously. Um, 
there's some cool updates in the 2.0, especially like UI wise, um, in the way that they do the skills and stuff like that, I think is a little, a little better. I still don't think it's very good, but, um, it's, it's better than it was before. Um, but then there were so many things like they really touted like the police system and that, oh yeah, we, we finally made the police reactive the way they should be. And like, no, they didn't. It's, it's different and it's better, I guess, objectively, but it's still dumb and not very good. Um, what, what's interesting about cyberpunk to me is that it's supposed to be like an RPG. And for me, that means, you know, you have a game like the Bethesda games and um, even the Witcher three, like even one of their own previous games where to me, like a game like that, you should be able to just walk around and stumble upon like new missions or side quests or stumble upon like environmental storytelling. And, and just, you should be able to just kind of immerse yourself in the world, walk into people's houses and, you know, maybe they get mad and shoot at you or something or, you know, break into a, a random business, get into their locker room, steal all their money. And like, and like cyberpunk just lacks all of that. Like to me, cyberpunk is best. If you have your quest list and you just go down the, you just go down the list, you, you knock out the quest, whether it's a side quest or a main one, and then you move on straight to the next one. Don't like, at least for me, you, you can't like just immerse yourself in because cyberpunk, it, it seems like in my opinion, it's really built to be bouncing from activity to activity. Um, and that the, the depth of the world or the lack thereof disappears when that happens. When you complete, when you go to this one spot and take out these criminals, uh, and then you get your alert for the next thing you can do, you know, you, you pick up your loot that they dropped, you jump in your car or you fast travel to that next place. And, and the world when it's whizzing by you is very pretty and dense and, 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 and seems interesting. The problem for me is that with cyberpunk is when you stop and smell the roses, it's, it's empty and soulless <laughs> and, and it's and it's been wild to me. Like I've seen like uh, you know reviews and obviously there's a lot of podcasts and reviews and stuff coming out for Cyberpunk right now, and I've seen people who are like pretty well known journalists and stuff be like, "Oh, I just love to just walk around." And I'm just like, "What? Like when you walk around, what you see is a bunch of zombie NPCs going nowhere, just walking. If you try to interact with them, it's very minimal, if anything. You have the this is the thing, and this is nitpicky. I, I get it." But there's vendors everywhere. There's stores everywhere. There's shops everywhere. There's like three models they use for people to staff these things. So when you run around, you just see the same three people all the time. It might be more than that, but it's not many more. There's one lady's face in particular. I remember every time I see her, I'm just like, God, this lady's everywhere. Um, but you can't interact with any of them. Zero. There could be you could be in a location where there's like a handful of restaurants and a handful of street vendors and you can't interact with you can't even like like most of the npcs you can like hit an interact button and they'll be like leave me alone like it's fairly basic but at least there's something but with these vendors there's nothing and it's like it doesn't matter like if every one of these vendors sold you stuff and all that like it wouldn't make the game better like i'm not saying that it's just for the type of game this is supposed to be and the way people are talking about it it's just it still struggles so much 
And what's funny to me when I when I was playing and I was like enjoying it, bouncing from activity to activity, the game that popped into my head that, that Cyberpunk reminds me so much of is Ghost Recon Breakpoint, which if you've listened to me long enough, you know, is a game I famously like just despise. I, I hate Breakpoint. It's one of the worst games I've ever played. And I'm not saying that, you know, Cyberpunk's one of the worst games I've ever played. It's perfectly adequate. It, it is a fine game. But it had that same feeling of like the world was just designed for you to bounce from one brainless activity to the next, uh, especially when it comes to side quests and things like that. Um, instead of you know, where sure, like in cyberpunk, when you are bouncing from quest to quest, there's NPCs walking around and there's cars that you're continuing with and the police, if you do stuff wrong and gang members, if you go down the wrong street or whatever, but they might as well not be there for the fun of the game. If you're trying to get the fun out of cyberpunk, you should be going from task to task to task. And, you know, in the way that Breakpoint was kind of like that, too, where, you know, you had this big giant island that was like 98 percent empty. And you were just bouncing around the island from task to task without very much, you know, stuff that could just come up. It, it, it's just, I don't know, for some reason, it really evoked that feeling out of me. And um, I mean, there's like journalists right now saying that they're going to like alter the way they do game of the year to name Cyberpunk their game of the year for 2023 and this year of all years. Um, and it's, you know, there's articles coming out saying, oh, this is the Cyberpunk is the greatest comeback in gaming history, as if No Man's Sky doesn't exist. Like, it, it's interesting to me because cyberpunk released as a solid like 7.5 out of 10 game uh ignoring all of and, and that's for me personally ignoring all of the tech issues and stuff i don't care about tech issues i know they will be fixed i have always had issues with cyberpunk because of the actual game and um it's i don't know if it's just different tastes which it probably is if it's hype if it's I, I just, you know, I see so many conversations and it's popped up again. It was first, it was Baldur's Gate and Starfield, and now it's Cyberpunk and Starfield. And it seems like at least the small part of it for some people is like, I don't want to like Starfield, so I'm going to pump up Cyberpunk and, and make my entire life about comparing them. <laughs> like, it's just... It's interesting. I, I, I think Phantom Liberty, it, obviously, it's pretty successful. It's got an 89 Metacritic score. Um, you know, a lot of opinions on Cyberpunk and CDPR have improved over the last few years, which is like half earned. I still don't I, I still think people should forever remember that CDPR just lied, <laughs> just blatantly lied about mechanics, things that would be in the game, uh, about you know when they released the game and they straight up, you know, very purposefully hid any kind of gameplay or anything from the last gen consoles like like they knew the state they were releasing the game in on those platforms and they did it anyways and and that was awful like that was like that could have sunk cdpr uh and and then even since then they've almost tried to like gaslight people too like even in the last couple of weeks one of the people from uh their studio was saying like uh the, the media is the reason people thought that cyberpunk wasn't good at release. It was actually a really good game. And I've seen this exact same thing parroted on Twitter and Reddit and other social media places where you can tell that bug got into people's brains. And like, that's just not true. 
like someone on Reddit yesterday responded to me saying that uh, I've been playing Cyberpunk since day one and I've never had a single bug or issue. And I'm like, you're just you're lying like that is that even the best made most solid game ever made. You couldn't say that about like that's just a bold faced lie. <laughs> like you were just saying that either to get a rise out of people or to whatever, whatever your purposes are. I, I really don't care. But like. It's just interesting. Cyberpunk is a very curious game. Uh, when the, the next Witcher game comes out, when the next Cyberpunk comes out, I'm really curious if people, you know, remember anything that happened with Cyberpunk or if people just move on completely and say, oh, yeah, it's the Witcher guys, <laughs> you know. So we'll see. Uh, with Cyberpunk, you know, it, there's a lot of people enjoying it. I'm not trying to yuck anyone's yum. Um, my experience is only my own, and that's all I can speak to. Uh, if you're enjoying it, if you're loving it, then that's awesome. Good for you. Uh, SAG-AFTRA has approved a strike for video game voice actors. Uh, so after the, they just finished the Writers Guild uh, <laughs> uh, Association and they got them figured out with uh, movies and uh, TV uh, with the writer's strike, they're now working on the actor strike as well, which they will probably resolve relatively soon. And now there's threats of a voice actor strike for um, all of the big uh, gaming publishers. So um, this includes uh, Activision, EA and a bunch of other big notable uh, publishers. Um, the thing to keep in mind is that right now they are in negotiations and that at least for the time being, there's no pending strikes happening uh, with voice actors. Um, that would be a pretty big bummer because games already take a long time to make. And if, you know, that I, from, I believe a lot of voice acting stuff gets done relatively late in the development process. And so, you know, you're thinking about games that are coming out like next year. Um, you know, Sinua's, uh, saga, uh, Dragon Age Dreadwolf, um, you know, the Wolverine game from Insomniac, like those games are probably the ones that are like doing voice acting stuff right now. And, you know, a strike will obviously delay those games. You can't, um, you, you can't put out the game without voices in it, unless you're a Nintendo franchise and then no one cares. There's my shade. Um, so this will be interesting. I, I suspect that these gaming companies are going to be a little more flexible um, than you know the the, um, the 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 movie and the uh, TV show studios. I, I think that I hope there's a little more connection to um, you know what's really going on and how they they know they need these voice actors um, as well as they've got to get these games out next year. Um, a lot of these publishers are are trying to make money and, and get back in uh, in some good graces and you know having to delay games even more, especially. You know, as we're coming out of the COVID era of games, everyone's kind of hoping that all of those delays are going to be done and uh, jumping right back into another delay issue is probably not on anyone's uh, short list of things they want to do. Uh, the next story is a Bioware is hiring shortly after their layoffs. So uh, currently, at least as of the writing of this, uh, my little notes here, there are three positions uh, being hired for at Bioware. That includes a senior gameplay animator specifically for the Mass Effect franchise. Um, this it, it's kind of what I said about Epic to a point. Um, if so, Bioware laid off around 50 people um, a month or so ago. 
And um, so you see that and then you see that they're hiring. And I know a lot of people are instantly going to go to that again, that, wait, what are they doing? Why are they firing people and then hiring? And, you know, if, what, did they have to fire those people if now they're hiring? Um, the thing to realize, and if you dig deeper into it, um, those Bioware layoffs were mostly Dragon Age, Dreadwolf devs, and mostly the narrative team. That doesn't make it any better. It doesn't make people any happier, uh, especially because a large number of those layoffs were like OG Bioware people. Some of the you know relatively few OGs left who worked on all of their games from you know the two thousands and stuff like that. Um, but as far as I know, they didn't like fire. They didn't lay off any senior gameplay animators, and they definitely didn't do that from the Mass Effect team. Uh, and so. I, I think you. It just depends on who you are. If you're if you're glass half full or empty, you can look at this in different ways. I'm a half full guy, and so I see this as probably good news for Mass Effect. If they're hiring that position, a gameplay animator seems like they must do stuff with um, a lot of like uh, you know, animations for like fighting and traversing and things like that, as well as like cutscenes and stuff like that. From the description, uh, th that's what it seems to imply. This description, I believe, also did imply um, Unreal Engine 5 again. So if we weren't already sure that the next Mass Effect is going to be on the Epic Engine, I think it's even more assured now. Um, there isn't that much to take from this. What was most interesting to me is that one, it's coming shortly after layoffs. And two, um, these are the first listings. And unfortunately, yes, I am that creator who keeps track of this stuff. Uh, they, um, they, they haven't hired like this since, uh, like I think it was June of 2022 was the last time they, they put uh, a job listing. So, um, you know, we have in seven day coming up here in about a month and a half. Uh, hopefully we're going to get some cool stuff there. I'm not expecting the world. I think it's going to be a similar, uh, release of info as 2022 where they give us just enough to talk about, uh, for quite a while, but probably nothing huge subtitle, things like that until after Dreadwolf comes out, which will hopefully be next spring. And then they can finally turn their full attention to, uh, the mass effect, which I think a bunch of us would be excited about. Uh, next one is Alan Wake 2 preview thoughts. Uh, so Alan Wake 2 uh, is coming out, I believe, here in a few weeks. And um, this was a game that wasn't really on my radar until pretty recently. And a bunch of this gameplay that has been shown um, from these preview events looks really cool. Um, this went from a I, I have no interest in that to I'm probably going to buy a game. Um, it, it looks like it's going to be kind of up my alley um, when it comes to kind of like a third person action adventure uh, that's not a PlayStation <laughs> exclusive. And uh, I'm excited to see uh, what they do with this. It's, it's, it's hard to say much about it because it was only a preview and even the previewers were only allowed to say so much. Um, but you can you can kind of feel like a buzz in the air for this game. Um, another little bit that came out this uh, this week was that one of the devs, uh, one of the people from the studio pointed out that the Series X and the PS5 will be getting 60 FPS modes. So that's really cool. Um, but did uh, but did iterate and kind of talk about how the game was legitimately only built to run at 30 FPS. And um, so that's not necessarily happening like it did with Starfield and stuff on console. But uh, whether people like it or not, it's probably a sign of things to come. I suspect that we'll be seeing more, 
we'll, we'll, we'll be seeing more of that um, 30 FPS limit uh, for the next couple of years, is my guess. Uh, just a quick update. I am, uh, I just entered act three of my Baldur's Gate three, uh, second playthrough. Um, this one's been really interesting. Um, so I missed, I, I didn't buzz through my first playthrough, but I did just miss a bunch of stuff. I, I spent a good time amount of time playing that game. Uh, but you know, through like watching the subreddit and seeing videos and stuff like that, I feel like I missed like a third of the content in that first playthrough. So in the second playthrough, um, you know, I've been doing that much slower. I've accomplished, I've done a bunch more of the stuff, uh, things that I knew about and some things I didn't, uh, but I've just been more curious and fully exploring all the worlds. Um, and, and kind of a funny situation as I left act two, which once you go to act two, uh, once you go to act three from act two, um, act one and two, you can still explore all of the places that, uh, both of those acts take place in. But once you go to act three, you leave that area and you can't go back. And as I left act two to three, the place where act two takes place has this curse over it. Well, I thought that was just a feature of that area. I didn't know you could cure it. I had no idea. And apparently you can, and I completely whiffed on that. So I guess I'll have to do a third playthrough. <laughs> um, one of the things I really liked about this, uh, the second playthrough was uh, the first one I romanced uh, Shadowheart, and that, that's a really cool story. Um, a lot of the character development and, uh, and I, I only saw uh, that character can make a pretty pivotal pivotal choice in act two that impacts them long term um and uh the way that they went on my first playthrough was really cool um the second playthrough uh, i've romanced lazel who is a character that especially in the first act a lot of people hate um but you know the things i've seen people say about how her character kind of softens and opens up in the second and the third act has been completely true uh, to the point where in at the beginning of the third act there's a moment that you're that you can have with lazel that it's not even it's not like horny or anything it's it's a conversation you have sitting on top of a building like watching like a sunrise or something and it is the 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 interaction is is maybe one of the sweetest pieces of dialogue i've ever seen right right up there with some of my favorite lines between uh shepherd and tally in mass effect um just a really cool really cool romance and relationship that you can have uh and as you see that character go through some really personally you know traumatic and very world destroying or or, or world changing or life changing things for lazelle uh in act in, in act two or act one um depending on the choices you make because you can go a lot of different directions with it uh it's just it's cool i really really like that um that that interaction and it's just Baldur's Gate 3 is real good, man. Like, I'm definitely going to do a third playthrough eventually. I may take a little break. I'm I'm, I'm kind of burnt out on these long RPG games. But um, but I already have all these ideas of what a third playthrough could look like. And that's like, ah, it's like, it's funny. It's, it's the same thing I've dealt with with Mass Effect, which is why I've played that trilogy almost 20 times in the last, like, two and a half years. So, um, yeah. Uh, Baldur's Gate 3, real good game. It's my game of the year at this point. I I don't see anything coming that's going to change that. Uh, it's probably Baldur's Gate, Starfield, then Jedi Survivor for me right now. Um, that's 
probably where I'm going to land at the end of the year, unless something surprises me. And Baldur's uh, Gate 3, good game. Go play it. Um, let's see here. Creative Assembly is shutting down, uh, and their game Hyenas has been canceled. So this is a, uh, I believe, another Embracer group uh, folly. Uh, that that publisher seems like they bit off a bit more than they can chew and now all of these uh, studios that bought into them or were bought out by them are now suffering the consequences um what's kind of interesting is uh creative assembly has a they're the makers of like total war um i i believe and what's interesting about them is like they're making this hyenas game i remember this game i remember seeing the like cinematic trailer they had and there's so many games now that you can, you know, people are sick of sequels and remakes and remasters and all that. But then a lot of games that come out that are new IP and stuff like Immortals, Immortals of Avium and stuff like that just crash and burn. And that may be because they aren't very good games, but it's kind of funny how it's, it's much like movies right now where people seem like they're sick of iterative uh, content but they only reward that, you know, uh, they only reward sequels and multiverses and, you know, all, all of this stuff. Uh, and so, you know, like, like hyenas was a game that from the trailer, I remember being like, what? And like, I, I don't know what you're trying to sell me here and I'm not really interested. And unfortunately it seems like that, um, that kind of carried through and ended up hurting them. And, and that's a bummer. You don't want to see any studio go down, um, especially if they're trying something new or trying a different angle on something. Um, but as far as I can tell that they are um, basically that, that studio, I believe is basically just shutting down and uh, it's, it's a weird thing. I saw a good quote on Twitter where someone was saying like, you know, everyone's talking about how 2023 has been so amazing for gaming and there's been a lot of amazing games, but that from, especially from a developer point of view, uh, it, it's been an awful year and it has been. And so it's like, you kind of have to reconcile with that whole idea of how the, you know, we've had some of one of the best slates of games ever uh, in the history of gaming. Like it, it really has been insanely impressive, but you have to kind of reconcile that with the fact that um, there's been like the most pain ever in the gaming industry in the way that developers and studios have been treated by publishers and, and, uh, and their owners. So, you know, unfortunately it's probably not the last time we're going to cover a story like this. And I, again, like I said about the Epic people, I hope all these people find positions and are able to uh, either start their own projects or jump on to, uh, to healthy and, uh, you know, and, and, and competent, uh, you know, studios that, uh, you know, aren't going to do this to them. Uh, then the final story here is the Knights of the Old Republic remake. Um, uh, it's it's in question. It seems like it's probably not going to happen anymore. Uh, so people noticed this week that uh, a game announcement, uh, the video from Sony had been uh, delisted on YouTube and a bunch of tweets uh, that had some of these announcements had been deleted. Uh, Sony has come out to say that it, it doesn't necessarily reflect on the status of the game, that um, some music licenses ran out and that they, they this is a normal thing for them to uh, get rid of uh, to delete these things or delist them until they either work out a new license or they just leave it off indefinitely. Um, 
it, this game has bounced around. It's the, so this was originally made by Bioware. Um, Bioware is not doing the remake of this. Uh, I believe at one point it was Saber Interactive, and now it's at a different studio. And it just kind of seems like one of those things that uh, is just it's just going to fizzle out. And, and that sucks because a lot of people were really excited about this. And, and I was, too, hoping that maybe it would come to, to PC um, because I've never played KOTOR. Uh, I've heard it's amazing, but I am just... I don't know. I can't go back to those games that look like that and that don't have all, all of the quality of life stuff of modern games. So call me, uh, you know, I'm, I'm too prissy for that. So I'm too fancy. Um, so, yeah. So hopefully that project's not going the way it looks like it's going and and maybe we'll get that game one day. I don't, I don't think so. Okay, let's jump into listener questions. If you have your own question, you can check out the Google form questionnaire. You can ask in Discord. Uh, you can ask in the YouTube comments, or you can hit me up on Twitter at Bond Diesel or at The Bonfire if you have any questions or topics or uh, suggestions or anything for next week. Uh, this week, we have a question from YouTubes. Uh, it says, build the best game ever by only using bits and pieces of your game of the year candidates. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to slightly modify this. I'm going to say I want to make my 2023 game of the year by the games I have liked this year. And so um, starting from the top, let's see. I really liked. Um, so Baldur's Gate 3, I would take the ability to manipulate the world you're in and the depth and detail of the environmental design. Uh, I would take that from Baldur's Gate 3. Uh, from Starfield, I would take the music because the music in Starfield is so good that in the moments that are supposed to be big, they are. And then even like there would be times I'd be bored walking around on some lifeless world and I would come over the crest of a hill and the music would just like hit just right and something would happen and it would get like goosebumps, man. The music is so good in Starfield. Um, I would also take um, like the, the first the first person gameplay of Starfield. I, I would do that. The, the gunplay and stuff is a lot of fun. Um, and I would probably take bits and pieces of the companion stuff, the romances and stuff like that. Again, this is going to be a big topic as time goes on, but um, I actually really liked the romance with Sarah in Starfield. And while, you know, some of the animation, like there's multiple things that, that are immersion breaking in it, but there were a lot of them that weren't. There were a lot of really good things, whether it was the, the conversations or the activities you did with them or some of the offhanded comments that your companions make and stuff like that. Uh, not necessarily taking the companion system and, and all of those things directly from Starfield, but definitely inspiration from that. Uh, from Jedi Survivor, I would take the platforming. Um, the platforming in that game may be one of my favorite things ever about any game. Uh, it's so fun to traverse that world with all of Cal's little skills and, and talents and stuff like that. Uh, the storytelling from Jedi Survivor, especially late in that game, is really good. The cutscenes and stuff like that um, are very, very good. And, and I really enjoyed uh, that. And then probably the set pieces from Jedi Survivor as well, like the, the boss battles and stuff like that. They uh, There's one in the first like third, maybe halfway through the game. There's a set piece in that game that 
it involves the platforming side of things that may be one of my favorite sequences in a game ever. It was just so satisfying. It looked so cool, but it was like still challenging. Um, from Hi-Fi Rush, just I, we, what I would take from Hi-Fi Rush is the spirit that the devs had when they made that game. That's a stupid answer. I know that. But the way whatever headspace the devs were in when they made Hi-Fi Rush of just like having fun and just letting something be funny and cute and exciting and heartfelt, uh, just the, the attitude behind making Hi-Fi Rush I would put into my game of the year. Uh, and then Planet of Lana um, is my little indie game. I'm, I'm putting on my favorite games this year. And uh, from that game, I would take maybe just like their the palette. <laughs> I don't know if that's um, if that's the right word. Just the the the, the kind of uh, design language of that game. Um, the, the kind of aesthetic of Planet of Lana is something I would want to inspire my game of the year. Um, as well as their ability to tell a really touching and emotional story with characters who either don't speak at all or speak like a gibberish language that they made up. So, um, yeah, so that's what I would take from there. So, so there's my game of the year 2023 made up of uh, the games that I like the most this year. And so I'm sorry that didn't answer your question exactly, but uh, I figured that was the best way for me to spin it uh, for now. And that's where we're going to wrap this thing up. Uh, thank you so much for listening. I'm happy to get any suggestions or, or, or your thoughts on the show. Like I said, give me topics and, and uh, questions for next week. If you want, I, um, you know, I really enjoy doing this show. It's a solo podcast, so it requires your input. Uh, anyone who listens, I, I want to hear from you. I want you to be part of the show. I also want you to review the podcast on Spotify or iTunes so we can get those recommendations up a bit. You can find me all over the internet as Bond Diesel, including uh, over on Twitch, where I do try to stream a couple times a week when I'm able, so I should be able to get back on that soon. If you want to support my content and, and help me out, you can uh, join the Patreon over at patreon.com slash Bond Diesel, uh, and you get some benefits there. You can subscribe over on Twitch, especially if you have an Amazon Prime sub that is totally free to you. That helps me out. Or you can check out my merch, and it, that is in the link down in the description, the Linktree link, where you can find all of the things I do and my merch, which I think I price very reasonably, and I think some of it looks pretty cool. So... That's all I have for this week. Uh, so until next time.